Hey, what's going on, everybody? Today is September 16th, 2020. This is episode 14 of the Late Bloomer podcast. Purple rain and homeless pain. Okay, that's corny. But I'm going to keep I'm going to stick to that. I'm going to stick to that name, that title. <laughs> I'm going to stick to my guns on that title because I've already written it down. Anyway, my guest today is Greg Kennedy. He's a program director and state representative, not a congressman, for the state of Georgia. Um, District 102 in Gwinnett County. Um, it's not really super funny, super silly, but I think you'll enjoy it. Greg Kennedy runs a really great program called Inspire. Uh, you can go to inspireoutreach.com. That's N-S-P-I-R-E, outreach.com. Um, and check them out, man. You could donate to the cause. I'll put a link in the description on where you can donate. Um, but yeah, great show, reflective. Um, I was actually in his transitional housing program at one time, and uh, eight years later, I think, I've been uh, out of the program and doing my own thing. Got two kids, was married for a little bit. You know, I did my thing, my thug thizzle. Hey, go ahead and check out Hempy Llama Tea as well. That's H-E-M-P-Y-L-L-A-M-A-T-E-A.com. Fusing together organic hemp and tasty blends of organic tea to help humans feel more at ease. I've drunk it. I've drank it. I done drunk it. I done drinked it. And uh, it's pretty fire. Makes me uh, get the best sleep that I've ever gotten. Um, because I do tend to be on edge a little bit after I record these podcasts. So, anyway, check them out. And also check out typicaldiv.com and get some of that fresh roasted local coffee. Thanks so much. going on everybody this is spooks mcgee with the late bloomer podcast yo i'm dead ass a broadcaster that's crazy man and i just got another one of my dope sponsors to send me some fresh coffee from kenya Mm. oh that's good typical div makes a hundred percent arabica coffee and he roasted this thing this is the kenya roast and i'm about to drink it right now again hold on Mm. Yeah, that's the sound of me drinking that fire. So in 2015, they came up with the idea for the title Neat. And because hip-hop should be simple and pure, back then, he made his own whiskey. But not only did they enjoy their drinks straight with no chaser, they also lived and loved by the same mantra. So in 2017, they started roasting coffee. It was ironic that black coffee is neat, too. Mmm, <sighs> think about it, man. Black Coffee is neat. He's talking about black coffee roasters, bruh. Come on, son. Anyway, um, that's enough of that. Also, shout out to Hempy Llama. It is a uh, really great CBD tea that um, is based, um, I think they're in L.A. I don't remember. Anyway, they're a really great company. I really like the product, and they've been considering using me as a, as a brand ambassador, but we're working on that. We're working out the kinks. So, um I'll put the link in the description for their website as well. 
But uh, I wanted to introduce my guest today. His name is Greg Kennard. That's two G's. So, Mr. Greg Kennard, Program Director for the Inspire Outreach, Pastor, as well as Congressman. <laughs> and uh, just all around uh, great guy, musician, and uh, just a, a good friend and a good uh, father and a good husband. And a great example to a lot of young people out there and our future president, right? Uh, no, there's no way. <laughs> President Kennard, come on. No, It'll no. be huge. Now, uh, to correct one thing, I'm not a congressman. I'm a state representative. So uh, Georgia has a 180 representatives from across the state that come down to the Capitol. Right, to my bad. Sorry about that. Slate. You're right, you're and right. So state the uh, state uh, government state? is set up like the federal government. No, no, no. Uh, so the Sorry about that. State representative for District 201? 102. See? My brain is all backwards, Greg. <laughs> yeah. So the state government, it mirrors the federal government and the fact that it has three branches, executive, which is the governor, mm-hmm. and then the, the judiciary, which is, of course, the court system. And then there's a legislative branch, which is broken up into a state senate and a state of a house of representatives. Well, there you go. That's the social study lesson. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I always thought it was interesting that we still have a president, to be honest, because if all those different things are in play, then why do we need a face for everything that we do, you know? Yeah, that's the, the framers set it up uh, in the Constitution, those three branches, but it never intended for the executive, executive branch to overpower uh, the other two branches right that, that gets uh, pushed sometimes but uh, there's checks and balances yeah yeah but anyway enough of that um, <laughs> uh, if you want to properly introduce yourself so I don't I don't screw it up this time go ahead no I'm, I, you got it right Greg Kennard um, uh, the pastor and founder of Inspire Outreach yes. which has been a church for 21 years and um the mission of our church is always to be outreach-minded and work with those in the margins, um, disenfranchised. So we have a transitional program that works to end homelessness and another one that works to end uh, domestic violence. And so we've been doing that for 14 years and assisted thousands of people. And There's been a lot of great stories and experiences, and it's actually my work at Inspire that led me to elected office because I see where the social issues of even homelessness, uh, domestic violence, poverty, uh, it's really impacted by policy and legislation at the state level. So uh, working on individual behavior in the program that my elected official position allows me to work on the systemic and structural edifice that is creating some of these outcomes to begin with. So, Mm, mm, mm. You know what? I want to talk to you about all of those things, but... This is a show where I kind of talk about some things that I missed out on um, growing up. And as a musician, one of the things that I think you you would find extremely interesting that I missed out on is the entire the entire Prince phenomenon. And so, oh, I don't I don't know if we can continue this podcast now. Now that I know that <laughs> that you you. You have no body of work with Prince. You have no frame of reference. What? What? How did you miss that? 
Um, that's why I started the show. Prince was wow. like probably one of the bigger ones that people were so surprised about. Being a black man in America to never have, you know, seen Purple Rain or listened to any Prince album in its entirety. It's actually pretty interesting that I was able to uh, miss that. And so not I Not just being a black man, not just being a black man in America, just living in America. How did you miss that? Um, I was in my <laughs> own little bubble. I really was. <laughs> I was in the SDA bubble, the Seventh Day Adventist Church is, you know, uh, and my uh, grandmother was very adamant about the Sabbath. And so when the Sabbath hit, I did what I had to do, which was go to church and, and not talk to nobody and not watch no movies and watch no nothing. And uh, I just never got into Prince. It just, I just missed it. Well, have you caught up? Okay, so I watched the film, expecting to see like a really corny 80s film that was just like cheesy. And I was actually super surprised at how well made the film was. The use of lighting, the acting. Prince is a good actor. Uh, all the other supporting cast members, they're great actors. I was like, this is insane. How am I able to, uh, how, how did I miss this? And how am I seeing something that is so old seem so refreshing and new? The performances were great. The, 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 the humor was funny. Uh, they poked a lot of fun at certain things that, you know, I always liked. Like, you know, the older... Abbott and Costello, I think, you know, who's on first type, uh, you know, comedy. Like, I saw these types of little, like, uh, vignettes that they, that, or not vignettes, but, like, you know, homages that they paid to a lot of things that I already like. And so I really appreciated the film. And also the little, un the underlying themes, domestic violence, um, you know, following your dreams, uh, the competitive nature of music and art. It was really inspiring. It kept me up for a couple of days thinking about it. Uh, a little good for you and, and then of course the music soundtrack right so that's the thing that I have to get to the next step is I'm going to I'm going to do my little 10 minute reviews for stuff that I've seen so I've, I'm going to talk about the film but then I'm going to also do um, I'm going to listen to the whole catalog the, al the album and for, for Purple Rain that goes with the movie and then I'm also going to listen to a lot of different um, uh albums from B like, I'm just going to listen to the whole catalog and I'm going to review the catalog as time goes on so maybe I'll become a Prince fan who knows yeah, I think you will. That's my that's my prediction. <laughs> I mean, my, here's the thing: I didn't completely miss out on the '80s. Uh, I really, really love Stevie Wonder. I really love a lot of the disco stuff from the '70s, late '70s, early '80s, like you know Donna Summers and Chic, and um, I really like um, you know uh, the the Pointer Sisters and. Um, right. Uh, just a, I've really taken a liking to that that uh, four to the floor disco drum thing. It's kind of like a heartbeat, like you know. It just like yep. it makes you feel like yeah. And then then I thought about like how rich the culture was. I mean, it was kind of um, <clears throat> it was kind of a. Uh, suggestive and vulgar the whole lifestyle as, as of disco people but what they were creating was something that threatened society so much that they went on a campaign to kill disco so i really did like a lot of things about 80s sounds 80s music that gated snare you know the crazy music videos that came out queen i mean there's so much things about the 80s and the and the pop art and the culture of that that i'm, that I'm starting to to really take a liking to so much so that some of the aesthetics that i've chosen in my own art uh, has you know mirrored that, but um, yeah, yeah, the eighties was a great decade for a lot of things, including music. So what movies. was what was it like for you seeing that for the first time? That Prince, you know? Yeah, I was you know I, I watched the movie. Uh, I was more in tune with the music. That's why it got my attention. So right. uh, uh, the soundtrack, and you know, you just got some classic. 
Prince that has become some of his greatest hits with, of course, Purple Rain. And then when, when probably my favorite Prince song is When Doves Cry. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So all that's from the soundtrack. I Would Die For You, Let's Go Crazy. Yeah, so that's just some of the vintage Prince material on that soundtrack. Okay, okay. Well, um, as a musician, what do you think about his musical ability? Oh, uh, off the charts, genius. I mean, the way he... Uh, Eric Clapton, yes. it's been said that uh, Eric Clapton says, what is it? Someone asked Eric Clapton, what's it like to be the greatest guitar player in the world? He said, I don't know, ask Prince. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so you know, he, he was so diverse and eclectic and so many different sounds, unique sounds, otherworldly right. sounds that we had never heard before. And still, his, his music has its own personality, its own fingerprint. Nothing sounds like Prince. And then he did, you know, that uh, old Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson Batman movie. He would be did the soundtrack for that movie right so wasn't he great supposed to play the, uh, the Joker or the Riddler or something Jack Nicholson was the Joker Michael Keaton was the Batman this was another 80s breakout movie the Batman series uh, no I meant wasn't Prince supposed to play one of the Batman villains I didn't hear that oh okay um, but this is what I was going to ask you um, what did you think about his religious uh, beliefs, like as being a Jehovah Witness and uh, where he stood as far as spiritually. Did that? Did you ever think about that kind of stuff or did, did you, that never crossed your mind? I never really connected those dots. You know, everybody's got a, a brand of faith. Most people do. Um, and, you know, the, the, the real thing is that we have an experience with God. Religion tries to put a box on God that never works out. So, you know, um, the... Our experience with the divine is what is eternal. The faith tradition, whatever denominational framework, that is not eternal. That's a, that's a human structure. So everybody's kind of got a weird uh, relationship with the religion that they grew up with. I know I do. I, for the most part, I benefited from my Pentecostal roots, right. and, uh, and I appreciate them. But, uh, you know, you, uh, at some point, you kind of grow past the, the Sunday school Jesus you had in some of those relics of faith that serve as a, you know, a foundation. But as you continue to grow as a human being, as a spiritually awakened person, you outgrow some of that, I believe. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that, too. So you grew up in the South in the Pentecostal church um, mm -hmm. as a white Southerner. You said that when you were younger, you were not like super wealthy. Like you guys, uh, I think at one point early on, uh, you know, had a hard life. I wouldn't say it was hard. Uh, we had everything we needed. Right. Um, you know, I grew, grew up the uh, first 18 years of my life. I grew up in a, a trailer park. What was maybe the biggest challenge with that is I grew up in Gwinnett County uh, mm -hmm. during that time, which all around us was a lot of... Uh, wealth and middle upper class yeah. neighborhoods yeah. so you know groping up i was kind of certainly an anomaly right but uh you know it it was fine i had my mom and dad loved us we had a very nice home uh, culture and yeah. family tradition and so it was just a great place to grow up ultimately okay okay so um, when you were living in the trailer park, it was just kind of like a means to an end to get to something better and bigger? Yeah, I mean, it certainly have expanded 
my worldview since, uh, I mean, I, I came out of the trailer park. I was in the trailer park, but the trailer park didn't get me. <laughs> you can take me out the hood, but you can't take me out the trailer park. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but that, that and my grandfather was my pastor, uh, Pentecostal church, small. Right. Uh, as soon as I started taking piano lessons, I became the church pianist and then kind of, uh, you know, really gained some of my chops. It was a great experience because I got some real live experience every Sunday playing in front of people. And, right. Um, so it really honed my skills, that whole thing. When you were a child, um, was music, well, what did you think that you were going to do with music? I know that you were, there were several things that you had pursued. I know that you had um, a, a possibility of being a professional baseball player and that you are the, the, the leader, uh, the musical leader for some different churches at some points in your life. Yeah, I, you know, I had a couple of things that was going on. I was a pretty good athlete, and the more I took piano lessons, uh, the better I got, and I had, you know, a, a natural gift as well. And then I, you know, practiced and trained and worked hard and had a kind of a proficiency towards uh, jazz music, pop music, and so... Um, there were some opportunities musically. I had a scholarship, a jazz performance scholarship at a couple of schools. Um, and then, you know, at some point I was playing varsity baseball as a freshman for a pretty big high school in Gwinnett. Hmm. Uh, and my coach at the time, he was kind of a secondary scout for a couple of professional teams. And he, he thought I was developing in a way that that may be a career path for me. Ultimately I got to my senior year. I, I, pretty much had locked in on the music thing and uh, was pretty decided about going to school for jazz and already applied to the school. They had already offered me a scholarship, already had my roommate picked out. But then that summer, right before I went to school, I just had a, uh, you know, it was a revelation really that that wasn't my ultimate path. And I changed gears and felt a call to ministry and pastoring and so I, I did music ministry and uh, went to Bible school, uh, became ordained, and that's really the only vocation I've ever had, and that's been over 30 years now. Wow, wow. So this passion to help the homeless, um, if I'm not mistaken, sort of started when you were a child and you had brought someone from the streets into your house? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> the, the pastor of the church I was attending when I was in my late teens, yeah. His son founded uh, Safe House Outreach in 1982, and, then, and I was going to their church at the time, and they were talking about this new ministry and new program with people on the streets of Atlanta. So I started volunteering, going down there. I was 17, 18, uh, spent you know, most of my weekend down there just helping serve people with food, talking to them about their situation. Uh, and and a, several occasions, actually, I was doing that on a Saturday night and got to talking to a person and really wanted to help them somehow. Yeah. So I'd call my parents and say, hey, do you mind if I bring this person home tonight <laughs> so I can get a hot shower and some food and go to church with us in the morning? And my parents were always good sports. There were some pretty interesting stories. <laughs> now that wanna, I think about it. Do you care to tell but, one or just one? Just one? No, it happened multiple times, um, you know, and... Like I said, my parents were always very accommodating. Right. But, um, that's when kind of the, that particular social issue it got on my radar and in my heart. And then, you know, my, my faith 
and uh, which is you know basically the teachings of Christ. Um, you can't read too far into the Gospels and you don't flip too many pages where you see Jesus talking about the poor and those in need and um, how much that was at the center of his mission, really. And so when something's just kind of, you feel a natural affinity for it, plus your your faith tradition uh, really lends itself to this kind of uh, issue. It's just always been in my heart, and now with Inspire, we're actually have developed a program that's that's pretty effective at ending homelessness for many people. Hmm. Do you um, um, being in the South as a Pentecostal, you know, con- probably a lot of conservative people who have uh, traditional thoughts and ideas. Um, I'm from New Jersey. And I didn't realize how common it was for there to be this disdain for people of color, this just general um, uh, default sort of like, you know, mindset that uh, the South has um, normalized. And I find it interesting that you uh, being growing up around all of these type of conservative people have such a... I would say progressive idea of where what systematic racism, systematic oppression, and uh, prejudice in general, uh, how it's uh, it's affected um, the growth of people's personal lives. I mean, you look at the the, the makeup of your your client base; um, they're all white people and Hispanics. Uh, very few Asian people, but also a lot of African Americans. Well, the more I did this work, uh, you start seeing patterns, you start seeing kind of predictable results uh, or, you know, situations. Uh, A typical client for us is a person of color, as you mentioned, uh, usually low academic achievement, poor literacy. Um, Usually there's a mental health diagnosis, usually there's addiction involved, and oftentimes more than overwhelmingly most of the cases and most of our clients have a felony background so you start looking at saying why is this the way it is and why does these same things keep happening to these uh, people in these situations that grew up in this environment and um, so you start doing a deep dive into it all and the more you talk to people the more you learn their story you you start understanding you know this is the result of largely of course of some personal choices but it's also people in desperate situations and uh, growing up with without proper resources and um, and so again you, you start connecting all the dots and mm. trying to understand the situation better and you understand that there's uh, that poverty is not only behavioral but it's also structural right. and um, there's a system in place my favorite Dr. King quote is that true compassion is not just flinging a coin at a beggar, but it comes to understand that an edifice that creates beggars needs to be restructured. Mm. So we, you know, there's probably will always be some level of poverty and homelessness that just can't be 100% eradicated, but the levels of homelessness and the levels of poverty and the levels of mass incarceration, that's because there's a system in place that's producing these these outcomes and these results. Mm. So, I know that you've spoken about this before, 
But in our lifetime, in the past, in the next ten to fifteen years, is it possible that we could actually change this, or is it yes. going to be something that is so deep rooted and deeply, you know, just like just? Yeah, it's not going. It's not going to be solved in our lifetime. Um, yeah, one hundred percent. But I think we can make some gain some ground. You know the the racial justice discussion that's happening in our country. I, I feel like for this year, it's been the most authentic conversation we've ever had. Mm. And some real things have been said and there's been some greater understanding. Of course, it's still a lightning rod issue and there's some very strong feelings around it. But I do think uh, there has been some progress made and uh, you know, we just got to keep talking about it and uh keep working through it and it's going to be mostly people like me who look like me who were raised like me that has to do most of this work because uh white privilege white supremacy it's a real thing it's deceiving uh usually people who have it don't understand it don't believe they have it they're blind to it and that's a problem but um you know the more people that kind of look like me believe like me you know i'm, I'm I've kind of got all the all the the great identities as far as they carry a lot of cultural uh, currency. Uh, I'm in, white in, in the United I'm States. A male. Yeah. I'm a Christian. Yeah. I'm straight. I'm able-bodied. So you know, I, I've kind of got all the cards. Um, I've got a, a royal flush. Right. Uh, but Greg, how can there be white privilege? It doesn't make any sense. I'm poor, and I've never been poor. My mama's been poor. My mama's mama was poor, and we never owned slaves. Yeah, it's not because you're not poor because you're white. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, uh, <laughs> there's there's racism, which is a specific structure and system in place that keeps the dominant group in control. Um, and so that system is definitely in place. And that's why we see all the gaps that we see in just about every space you can think of economically. Uh, white families statistically have 13 times more wealth than black families. Our our health outcomes are better. Um, the educational outcomes are, are better. Um, so uh, across the board, uh, home ownership, you know, it's staggeringly better. Far more white families own homes than do people of color. So that, you know, you can't just say this just is happened in a vacuum. No, this happened by a design. And if you have to objectively look at it to understand it, so. But I think I think I'm optimistic. I really am. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot of work to do. Yeah. Well, I don't know. So, it, as far as work that needs to be done, I think that there's a really great thing that you're doing. Uh, I just got off of a podcast where. I pretty much was talking to them about what it's like being homeless in Atlanta, in downtown Atlanta. And to be honest, it's kind of fun. Not going to lie. There's so much distractions that can keep you from your goals and from focusing on what needs to be done that it's just it's just a lot that you could do and you can get into where you could just, you know, spend the day just, you know, dilly-dallying and doing whatever and then, you know, eating and, and, and chilling and playing cards and, and whatnot. But when you guys came to the safe house to preach that day, I had to go and uh, and, and, and get the money to, to, to hop on that bus to get to you guys. 
And uh, I was thoroughly impressed with the transitional housing program. But the crazy part is that when I came in 2009, I believe it was, um, it wasn't as evolved as it is now. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't have access to a lot of the resources that clients have nowadays. And even then, I was super, like, I I had a lot, a lot that I could do in, in the time that I was there, you know? Right, yeah, the the program is not the same this year as it was last year. We're continuing to evolve, and um, and so I, I think we're doing it better than we've ever done it. But, you know, from 2009, I mean, we started the program in 2007, so you were in our first few years, but it's definitely grown and adapted and uh, evolved, for sure. Mm. So how does that work? Do you guys, um, well, I, I already know how it works, but uh, can you tell the people how it works? I mean, there's several different streams of income. It could be between client, uh, um, program fees, uh, government grants, and the clothing drives that you guys do with uh, Park Avenue Thrift and other places. Sure. Yeah, we have about, you know, probably four or five buckets of income. One is we're a church. We have offerings. Right. right. People pay tithes and and then also we do get a few foundation grants here and there. Um, there is a client share, uh, cost share, that allows us to serve more people at a time. So the program subsidizes two-thirds of the cost, and roughly the client pays one-third, and that helps them to understand some personal responsibility, have some skin in the game, and have some with some real-life money management financial skills but then uh, uh, one of our major sources of income is our clothing drives there's thousands of people that give clothes to us uh, uh, every week and so there's four things that we do with the clothes one is all of our clients get new wardrobes people that call in from the community in need of clothes we help as many of those as we can when we do inner city outreaches like at safe house we always take clothes with us to, to dole out to the men and women there on the streets but then the fourth thing we do for the clothing that we do not have a direct use for is they're sold in a thrift store and it cre- uh, creates a revenue stream to help us afford the other hard costs of the program, like residences. We'll spend t- uh, $26,000, $27,000 a month in just housing costs between apartment rents, utilities, insurance. Um, Maintenance. And then we have, like yeah, that. we have a. We have a fleet of vans, passenger vans that provide transportation to to work, to appointments, to doctor appointments, probation appointments. Uh, And then, of course, just the other things like counseling and therapy. We have a small staff that, you know, takes up a little bit of that income. Uh, But, you know, we between all the income, you know, it's about a million dollars a year uh, that we're able to help, you know, 70 people at a time. Um, in residence and so there's a lot that goes into it we we operate very frugally we're very wise Uh, we get a lot of bang for our buck that we spend but at the end of the day when you're talking about 70 people there's a lot of hard costs so once the clients start working they pay a program fee it's somewhere between four fifty and five hundred dollars the overall cost for each client is about fifteen hundred bucks a month so we pay two-thirds, they pay a third, mm-hmm. and it teaches responsibility, as I mentioned. Helps them getting to the, the rhythm of paying some of their bills so that when they get on their own, they already kind of have those skills under their belt. And, uh, and it allows us to, to help more people at one time. 
See, that's the thing that really tripped me out about the whole situation that you guys have set up. It's like, okay, within 24 hours of you getting on the thing, you got a job, you got clothes, you got a stipend in your pocket, you got, you go to church, you got a counselor, you're, you're working out, you're, you're back in school, you have a laptop uh, after like the, the third or fourth week, you got a laptop, you're back in school. You're like, it's just like, you know, um, it's crazy. I can't think of, I, I, I personally might not be too familiar with a lot of transitional housing programs, but I personally cannot find anything that is even remotely close to what you guys have done or are doing. I, I don't know any other program exactly like it. We do a lot. Uh, you know, and honestly, we, uh, we can't solve every problem, but we're pretty comprehensive. It's kind of a one-stop shop. There's a few things that we sub out. Uh, like we do have a, a therapist but we don't have a psychiatrist, so we rely on the local uh, mental health treatment center to provide psychiatry for our uh, clients. Right. But uh, we do have a health workout program, uh, personal trainer, you know, and and we have a GED preparation program. So you know, it, there's a lot of resources that can, if someone is really ready to change, uh, they can do that and, and inspire for real. Yeah, and you know what? I'm not going to lie. Um, I was one of the first few clients, but I was also a young guy that's kind of goofy and stupid and uh, uh, lacked focus because I never really got a chance to really do the things that I wanted to do. But I really appreciate you guys for bearing with me and also for providing that outlet for me to do what I wanted to do. I mean, you bought the whole studio. Uh, of course, things happened where that was robbed, but um, the fact that you cultivated my... Uh, scatterbrainness and found a way to utilize me it just it, it, it's a testament to how you guys you know might have a, a, a general program for just clients but you also uh, you know have an individual focus um, on each client's personal needs and my need was to be creative and you allowed me to have that that platform and um, it, it kept me from, you know, doing anything super stupid. But, I mean, aside from being a nuisance, I wasn't really uh, that, uh, that problematic. And, I've, and, and it became a part of this, uh, this community that um, I think it's like, what, six or seven, maybe eight years after I've, I've left the program, I'm still here and I'm still involved and I'm still trying to help you guys do what y'all are doing. Um, and, uh, and it hasn't changed. I still sing with you guys. I'm still there. I mean, I'm still part of the family. And, uh, and I think that most of the clients are like that. Like, even if they do other things or go other places, they always can come back and, and inspire us right there, you know? Sure. Well, for, for some, um, we, we kind of become family uh, like you. Uh, I consider you a brother. Oh, and you. Um, it's just uh, what you add to even our church experience on Sundays with your musical abilities. It's just a blessing. And um, so, you know, I, I, when you, f you feel a connection that goes beyond just being a, a client and a program, but then you, you really get to know folks and your destinies are intertwined either for a while or maybe sometimes longer. And um, but it's just a, it's a great experience. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. So what is the ultimate goal? I know that you guys have had some ideas to do some like. A big kind of compound situation, like a huge living environment. Like, like, um, uh, are you guys still trying to do that in due time? I mean, I saw the yeah. blueprint for the big old facilities and that type of thing. Um, I know that that's a long way away, but is that still a goal? 
Uh, sure it is. We're, we're just kind of wide open. We've created a vision board, you know, and some of, one of the things that's on our corporate vision board yeah. is like a multi-purpose property where there's housing, there's some industry and jobs, and Gym, there's live-work live, work play, and yeah. some, maybe some, some shops and stores, and mm-hmm. all for, a place for entrepreneurs that come through the program like to that. have a uh, you know, a place to kind of experiment with. And that's still in our heart. And uh, we're just kind of waiting on God's timing with it all. Right, right. Um, but uh, that's that's amazing. I really appreciate what you guys are doing out there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show and talking um, about what you guys are doing out there. Um, is there anything that you had on your mind or on your heart that you that you wanted to talk to the people about in general? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I feel very blessed to have found uh, my purpose, my calling. I found it pretty early, fortunately. Mm-hmm. And so life has been, you know, pretty exciting. I, I live the life I love. I love the life I live. It's, you know, some people wake up to an alarm clock. I wake up to a calling every day and, and just live with a sense of purpose. And I think everybody should really make that uh, a primary objective, you know, where you find a vocation, you find work, you find things to get involved in that, that looks like you, that feels like you. Um, and so, you know, I think that's a worthwhile endeavor for everybody to kind of figure that out. I believe God has a purpose and a, an assignment. There's a will for your life, and you don't decide what it is, you discover what it is because it's kind of like a predestiny. It's in you before you even begin this journey. God sees the end from the beginning. Before we were in, even in our mother's womb, there was a purpose and an assignment on our life. Mm-hmm. So I just like to encourage the audience to really dig deep, look within, and find that there's two great days in your life: the the day that you were born, and the second day is the reason, the day that you figure out why you were born. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that makes all the difference in the world and how your life goes and how you know God doesn't want us just to live life. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus said. I have come that you may have life, comma, and life, and life more, more abundantly. Yeah, comma, and life more abundantly. So which side of the comma are you living on? Are you living in just life or life more abundantly? Mm. And I think um, I think that's an important spiritual journey that everybody should take. I really appreciate that. That's amazing, you know. And also something that you've said on numerous occasions that I really like is the uh, magnification. Like there's a scripture that says, that, Oh, magnify the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. And they had a song, Oh, let's magnify the Lord. But what you say is really interesting. What are you magnifying? Like right. are you magnifying the darkness or the, or the, or the, or the, the, the light? Are you magnifying God? Are you magnifying, you know, and, and I think that's interesting because the idea of, of, like, you are, your focus and your expansion on that focus is based on your ability to expand on that focus. And are you, and if you magnify, you can literally magnify God in your life by just really focusing on it intensely. Yeah, so we don't want to magnify our problems. We want to magnify our God. And the thing is, when you magnify something, you don't make it bigger than it actually is. You make it bigger to you. You make it bigger to you. So mm. when, I ma- when I magnify God, I'm not making God bigger. <laughs> I'm making him bigger in my life. In your, in your scope. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, I really appreciate you, Greg. There's one thing that we do on the show that we uh, often talk to people about. 
uh, the music that they're listening to. Um, I've been listening to uh, a lot of, uh, um, you know, vintage sounding 80s music that was made in the 2020s. Uh, a lot of like there's a there's a huge market for these musicians who are making music that sounds vintage, but it was it's recently made. So a lot of people like um, Tuxedo and this other artist named Shore. Oh, I can't remember her name. Not this escaped me. But she's she made a, a straight up disco album in 2020. Um, people like Toro Yimoy, people like um, Ketranada that are making music that has really nice ground vintage sound that's what i've been listening to a lot um as of late what are you listening to pretty much exclusively the hamilton soundtrack <laughs> <laughs> so ever since the hamilton I mean, dropped uh, you've been watching oh that my listening God. To it. i've been watching it and it's it's pretty much just on a loop i you mean know, it's just uh, awesome. every time i listen to it i figure something else out you know the, the hamilton experience it, if you like history you'll love hamilton if you like musical theater You'll like Hamilton. If you like hip hop, you'll like Hamilton. But if you like all three, oh my God, it's just incredible. Well, I have to take the time to watch it because I've heard about it and I've um and I just uh, I'm a late bloomer, Greg. Oh, <laughs> uh, you missed Prince. Now you can't miss Hamilton. Don't make that same mistake again. I won't. I'm gonna get that. Um, uh, uh, Was it Disney Plus? And I'm gonna watch that thing. I'm gonna make sure that I watch it. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna put the soundtrack on too because. I'm not throwing away my shot, Greg. Yeah, that's, that's just one <laughs> song of many that will just blow you out of the water. Wow. Yeah, Lin-Manuel Lin 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 Miranda at first really annoyed me. I just didn't like him. He just bothered me, you know? Uh, because as a hip-hopper, I don't know, like, I know you don't really listen to rap and hip-hop like that, but it sounded like hip-hop light to me. It always bugged me how it didn't sound authentic like a real MC to me. Um, but I hear that it pays homage to a lot of the things that I love about hip hop, and I should give it a chance. Yes, yeah, it's, it's you won't be disappointed. I won't. I, I know I won't because everyone that I've heard has seen it is like, oh my gosh, it's incredible. There's this guy that I watched Double Toasted, and he always talks about reviews on movies and and, and things. He's not really into like Broadway and stuff, but he was talking about this thing of like. It was the best thing he's seen in his entire life, and he's in his in his late forties. So, yeah, I gotta I gotta get on that. Yeah. So it's, it's all that. It's all that. It really is. Aside from the uh, Hamilton uh, uh, thing, what else are you listening to? That's it, Hamilton. Oh, just Hamilton all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in a couple of months, you'll be listening to your Christmas music because you know that's what you want, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this man has the hugest Christmas music collection I've ever heard in ever. Yeah. <laughs> and so, pretty much. Um, you're saying that uh, Inspire Outreach is going to resume physical um, services uh, in the beginning of October? Yeah, we are. It's you know we're not going to really open up to the public just yet. So that'll be a, down, a little bit down the road. But for our current membership and those who regularly attend, um, we'll be going back to a two-service format, kind of splitting everybody up into a smaller group. We'll social distance. We'll mask. And we'll, we'll resume some in-person services. We've been kind of doing Zoom for a few months now, but I think we're we're confident that we can do this safely now. Okay, okay. Well, thank you, Greg. I don't want to hold you for too long. I know you're a busy man. You got lots of things going on, lots of moving and shaking and stuff that you got to do. And so yep. uh, I appreciate you taking the time to get on my little janky show. <laughs> uh, I appreciate the opportunity, Owen. 
thank you, Greg, for everything. You're a great, you're a great mentor, and um, I hope to speak to you again soon. Okay, thanks. All right. All right, everybody, that was Greg Kennard. Um, he is uh, a pretty dope dude, man, not going to lie. And so just like thinking about, in retrospect, the way that things have gone, it's just crazy, man. It's just crazy that I'm able to stand here and talk to you guys about music and art um, in the comfort of my home when I was literally like in the streets homeless. And uh, I try to keep the show light and goofy and silly. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes I remember very vividly the stuff that happened to me when I was out there. And, uh, kind of makes me a little bit upset. I'm not going to lie. Because I understand that you need to go through some things in order to like grow and all that stuff, but it's dark. And I laugh about it and I make silly funny jokes about it, but it's nothing funny. I don't think that there's really a way that we could avoid this. That the way that life is set up right now. Pretty much being a black man in America, you're gonna have to deal with something. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how educated you are. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how funny you are. If you look a certain way, you could end up homeless, in the streets, trying to figure out what, what's the next move. It's depressing. So I want to make sure that I find a way to keep it from being so dark and sad because it's very, very sad. It's a sad situation that we live in. This is a sad, sad, sad thing. As Trump would say, sad. And I don't know what to do about it. And this podcast is not my um, soapbox where I can preach to people about how upset I am about the plight of the black man in America. But sometimes I put my fist up But what is that for? I'm punching at the air. It doesn't do anything. I feel powerless. And I hope that people like Greg continue to do the work for the powerless to gain power again. Because we all have a little bit of power. And that power is being revoked from us. There's nothing we can do about it. This thing that I'm doing here, I'm fighting. I'm fighting against the system and, and, and against mediocrity. I want to be something more than just some dude that's, that's just like going to work every day. I'm tired. 
And you see me making stuff all the time. Little vignettes, little cover songs, a podcast, music, a music video, a, you know, a funny skit, something, anything. I have to create. And if I don't do it, then I'm going to lose my mind thinking about the situation that I'm in. And my, the situation that I'm in is that no matter what I do, no matter how hard I do it, nobody cares and they're not going to do anything about helping me. And I have nothing to do but help myself. And that's a lot of pressure to put on a person. So I have to make sure that I don't boil over. That I don't get upset. I don't allow myself to become overwhelmed by that situation. I have a theory. I call it the boil over, the boiled water theory. That if you let, a if you let water boil over to the point where it's like the highest level of being boiled, that it takes about two or three hours for it to be go back down to room temperature. And so we, when we get upset and angry, we can literally generate heat. Our body temperature rises. We can, get, we can literally boil inside of us. And I feel like if I let myself boil over, I lose myself. I, I do dumb things. And I don't think. And I don't want any of you to let this frustration cause you to boil over. Because when you're at full boil, you can burn somebody. And you can burn yourself too. Please, I know this is a goofy, silly show. I try to keep it lighthearted. But I'm really, really tired of fighting. And I really feel that I'm so close that something is about to give. I got people talking to me about becoming brand ambassadors. A lot of listeners are checking out the podcast. Things are moving. And I understand that I have to keep doing this to see the results that I want. And I have to be consistent. And I have to work hard. And I have to focus. And I hope that you can do the same thing with your passions. My name is Spooks McGee. This has been the Late Bloomer Podcast. Peace. <laughs>